Well, good morning. I can't tell you how much of a privilege it is to be able to be speaking to you this morning. Thank you again, Matt, for the invitation. I feel so honored to be able to be speaking to you guys today. And we've had the privilege of getting to know Matt and Heather over the past uh, decade, actually. And they are, they've always been such a tremendous encouragement to us. It's been just amazing to get to know their family as well. Jones, McRae, Paisley, Finley are just a joy to be around. And it's just, it's just a privilege and honor. From everything I've heard about you guys at Trinity, to be able to speak, be able to speak directly to you. Having not met you, by the way, I, our, our desire would be that one day we would come and I'd be able to meet some of you face to face. But, uh, but until that day comes, it's just, again, just a privilege and honor to be able to, to speak to you today. So a little bit about me. Uh, I have a lovely, beautiful, amazing wife of 16 years now named Christine. And we have a beautiful adopted daughter who is three years old. And uh, I met my wife, Christine, when I was six years old and she was seven. So we were boyfriend, girlfriend back then. And then we saw, I didn't see her again uh, until, so we lived across the street from each other then. And then later on, she moved to Pennsylvania. I moved to Georgia. I didn't see her again until I was 11. She was 12. We had our first kiss, which by the way, I do not recommend. That's, it's kind of like, oh, but like, not so good. Um, but then I saw her again when I was 17. She was 18. And uh, then the slow motion music happened. The fireworks went off. And we uh, got together and got married when I was 21 and she was 22. So uh, as I mentioned before, we adopted our three-year-old daughter uh, right after she was born, actually, in July of 2019. And that was right before our 13th wedding anniversary. She's changing so much every week. She, uh, the latest thing she learned to do is talk to Alexa. So the, the kind of Amazon device that you can have on your countertop. And the other morning she got up, got out of her bed, walked to the kitchen. She started playing the excavator song by Blippi, which if you hadn't heard before, ask, ask Alexa to play it. It's, it's a tremendously awful song. Um, but she went to the kitchen, she started playing it, and we could hear her jumping up and down in the kitchen, like, do, do, do. And, and then so we hear her dancing. It causes us to kind of laugh and smile. She runs back to the room. She says, Daddy, come on. So I run out to the kitchen. We're dancing to Excavator by Blippi. And that's all before the morning coffee. So uh, just, a, just a small picture of life with a, with a, a small child. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, but sometimes you don't get a whole lot of sleep. So, but with that being said, Matt asked me to uh, think and pray about what I wanted to share with you guys. And after thinking about that, I, uh, I, I wanted to, to kind of address the topic of patience or long-suffering, as it's often translated in the Bible as well. Now, this is not to imply that Trinity Church has a reputation of being impatient or that you guys particularly need to hear this for some reason, or, you know, Matt didn't tell me, hey, if you could really, like, tell him about patience, like, that'll be a great thing. He didn't do that. Um, but I just think all of us, in light of a global pandemic and everything that we've been through recently, could really use just kind of a fresh reminder of this tremendous fruit of the Spirit. And so uh, one thing that I think uh, speaks well to what we've, a lot of us have experienced over these past few years is Proverbs 13, the first part of verse 12, and it says simply this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
the things that happen in our lives where patience is necessary, where sometimes, or, or where something that we long to happen in the depths of our hearts is delayed, the Bible confirms what we already know about those time periods, that they can make us sick. They can make us sick in our hearts. So my hope today is to remind us of perhaps the remedy to that sickness, which is one of the fruit that we bear when the Holy Spirit of God is in us, and that is patience or long-suffering. So as we get into this, let me pray, and then we'll get right into it. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your patience with us, helping us walk each step of the way in the journey that you have called us to. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see what we can't see right now. Lord, that you would help us not to simply be challenged today, but to be changed. Help us to see where we can find encouragement and be encouraged and see where we need repentance and have the courage to repent. Lord, we love you and thank you again for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So first, a little word study on long-suffering or patience. It comes from the Hebrew word transliterated as arik apayim, which literally means long of nose or long of breath, which is interesting. But this is kind of as opposed to short breaths that would be associated with anger or impatience. Actually, the word slow to anger, as it's translated in the Old Testament, which is one of the first ways that God is described, these Hebrew, they come from these Hebrew words, arik apayim. And in some translations, it's transli transliterated as the word long-suffering. So, for instance, in Exodus 3-4, in the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, it says this, as the Lord uh, passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, or arik apayim, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But then you go to the King James Version, and it says this, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, or arik apayim, and abundant and goodness and truth. So you can see that slow to anger and long-suffering or patience is very closely related to describing who God is and are used interchangeably to uh, interpret this word arik apayim in the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, the Greek word that's used is called makrothumia. And this is including in Galatians 5, where we have the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And it means literally to be long of mind or long of soul, which is often seen as kind of like the seat of our emotions. Or long-tempered would be another way to say it. It characterizes someone who is not rash or led by their emotions, but in the biblical sense, kind of led by the Spirit, who transforms the depths of our desires and causes us to live out of those. In other words, uh, there are other words translated from macrothemia in the New Testament along with long-suffering are patience and forbearance. It's also associated with kindness in 1 Corinthians 13 and joy in Colossians 1. So there also seems to be uh, an attitude associated with the patience. It's not just waiting and waiting well, but waiting with joy and waiting with kindness. It's not just 
a, a submission to God's will and his timing, but a joyful submission to God's will and his timing and love demonstrated in the midst of that. The thing that I found most interesting in this word study is how the Hebrew word is the first thing that is used to describe God's nature in the Old Testament. So a reek, a God being uh, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. And the New Testament in 1 John 4, 16 tells us that God is love. And the first word used to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is, can you guess that? Someone, someone there? Patience, if you didn't get it already. Patience, love is patient. Love is macrothumia. So long-suffering or patience is so incredibly associated with who God is, it might only be second to love and being a descriptor. It's like love and grace and patience like might be like right below those in terms of describing the nature, the very, if you had to use one word to do it, describing the very nature of who God is. But as you can see, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit are kind of all interwoven with one another. So we see the list in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They are the fruit of the Spirit. Now it's important to point out they are not the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It all comes as kind of like a package deal and rising, kind of rising water rises all ships. As we grow in spiritual maturity, we, uh, we grow in this, the different fruit of the Spirit. Now, there's nothing wrong with calling them fruits and kind of talking about them one at a time, which is what we're doing today. But I think really we need to understand the fruit of the Spirit as multifaceted descriptors of the attributes of the Holy Spirit who is God in us, who also happens to coincide with the attributes of God himself. So when, there, when the Bible's describing the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, it's also describing who God is in us. Now, this is a list, and maybe not, it's, it's may, maybe not a, an exhaustive list of everything, but I think it's a wonderful, it's a great list of the essence of who God has called us to be or the part of himself that he wants us to represent here on earth. Now, you see, there's, there's many things that God is, and some of those things are reserved for God and God alone. Those would be his, as what theologians call, the incommunicable attributes. So things like his om, omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, all the omnis, right? All the things that he is all, that he is everything to associated with, those are reserved for God and God alone. But other attributes that mainly Jesus represented while he was here on the earth are the ones that he wants to be in us as well. He wants us to represent who he is here on earth. And all that to say, as we grow in Christian maturity and become more like G Jesus, I believe all of the fruit of the Spirit will become more true of us. And these aren't necessarily spiritual disciplines that you work on one at a time. Like you're not going to be like, this week I'm going to focus on patience. So I'm going to just be really, like forget joy and love, like kindness, I just, just patience. So I'm going to try to be really patient this week and just try real hard. That's not exactly what it's like. I think as we submit to the Spirit of God in our lives and we do the things that God is calling us to, step into the practices that conform us into the image of Jesus, all of these, this, the fruit of the Spirit will become more true of who we are. We become the kinds of people who would be patient in a situation. So God is transforming us from the inside out. 
So when we say God is patient and therefore he wants us to demonstrate patience, what do we mean? Well, God's patience with us in the Bible might best be described by his forbearance or his mercy. In short, he has not treated us as our sins deserve, essentially. God created the universe and everything in it in love. It was not created out of necessity. It was not created because he was kind of bored and they wanted some, some people to kind of hang out with. No, God created us in love to share himself with us in relationship. And it's interesting to note that when God created the universe and everything in it, everything was obedient to God and his word. So as he declared what different things were, like the animal or the sea or the sun or whatever, they all operated within the bounds of what God declared over them by his word. But then it says on the sixth day, it says, God said, let us make man in our images. As he does this, uh, God tells us, he tells us just like he tells the rest of the creation, how we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to move. He actually calls us into relationship with himself and say, let me, let me give you purpose to your life. Let me show you the most pleasurable, the most satisfying, the most wonderful way. Like it, it, Jesus said it, life and life to the full. That's what God wanted us to walk in with him since the beginning. So he called us into that relationship with him. We looked back at God and said, no, we rebelled. We rebelled against the one who created us. All the rest of creation obeyed God. We looked back at him and said, no. That's what separated us from God. And it was at that point, at that point, if you know the story in Genesis, uh, where Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. They ate the, the forbidden fruit. They said no to God. They had that point of rebellion. At that point, God's eternal, his, his magnificent, his wonderful patience, his forbearance started at that moment. And, and he demonstrated to us, he demonstrated to us as his creation, what he meant by, by who he wanted us to be. He did not treat us as our rebellion deserved. And in that moment, he actually sacrificed an animal to create clothing for us. And in that moment, it was to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. So they, they attempted to do fig leaves, didn't work out all that well. So he sacrificed the animal and made them clothing to cover their nakedness, which, does, which was to symbolize that God set a plan in order for us to have our sin and our guilt and our shame ultimately covered and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Now, it's interesting to, to me that God's plan of redemption for us included a role that both God and us would have to play that would involve this kind of spirit-empowered patience. God could have made it easy on himself and banished us away from his presence immediately for all eternity. He could have destroyed us, or he could have sent Jesus immediately. So as soon as Adam and Eve sin, we send Jesus, he dies for their sins, and then it's all good from there. But he didn't do that. He intentionally created a plan of redemption that involves centuries of watching God's people fail and complain time and time again. But God's still continuing to show them patience, and mercy. So it begs the question, 
If God created this redemption plan that involved him showing amazing patience, why would we be surprised when that plan for our individual lives includes circumstances that involve a great demonstration of patience as well? God puts himself in a position to show patience and he does the same thing with us. He does that in himself to demonstrate his mercy, his goodness, his kindness, to demonstrate his glory in one word. He does that in us to show that we are transformed by him, that we are representations of who he is here on earth and also thus glorifying him as well. So God's plan of redemption for us included him showing amazing patience, which means his plan for our individual lives also includes us showing that as well. So now with the groundwork laid, I want to address some barriers to patience and how and why we can overcome these. Number one, barrier to patience, hurry in one word. Now, this, this concept's been made popular in kind of Christian pop culture recently by guys like John Mark Comer and Jefferson Bethke. But I want to read Luke chapter 10 to kind of illustrate this point of how hurry can, can uh, sabotage our ability to be patient. Starting in verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Well, that's great. Like, we answered correctly. Like, we, that's good. That's good, especially to hear from Jesus. Like, you answered correctly. He says, do this, and you will live. Then he says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, but wait a minute, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, who is similar to a priest, when he came to the place where he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to to, and took care of him. And the next day he took out his credit card and he gave it to the innkeeper and he said, just charge my card with whatever you need to take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I think the main thing that this story illustrates is that hurry and love are incompatible because love is first and foremost, once again, patience. Hurry and patience are also incompatible. Overcommitment, overscheduling, an attempt to transgress our God-given limitations doing more and more things in less and less time, usually driven by things like greed and self-worth and accomplishment, or even like relational obligations that we have to other people, among other things, will absolutely sabotage your ability to move at the same speed as Jesus. Think about Jesus' ministry. His schedule was interrupted all the time, and he was never 
impatient with people. He always made time in an incredibly gracious and loving way for those who interrupted him. And the Samaritan was the one in the story, not the priest or the Levite, who demonstrates love through patience and helping this man who genuinely needed help, who was naked, beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Now, as a pastor, I can't help but to associate myself with the priest and the Levite and ask myself the question, if I was on my way to a Sunday morning meeting or a prayer meeting and I saw someone on the side of the road who genuinely needed help, would I have enough margin in my schedule to be able to stop and help that person? Or would my mind immediately go to, no, I got to be on time for this meeting because I got to show people the way of Jesus, right? Which is just... I'll just leave that question unanswered because I don't know how I would respond. I would hope that I would stop and help, but I don't know honestly how I would respond. But in order to be transformed into patient people, we must do what Dallas Willard recommended. He said this, do whatever it takes to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. So here's some quick tips for you. These are, you can take these home, practice them this week, do them today. Quick tips to, to eliminate hurry from your life. Number one, get in the longer line at the grocery store. Don't like, you know, you're always like coming up to approaching the lines. You're like, well, that person, you know, there's like three people in this line, but they only have a few things. There's two people in that line, but they have a lot of things. Maybe actually the three, you know, you're like doing all that stuff. I mean, I know I do that, but don't do that. Just get in the longer line. Give someone else the blessing of getting in the shorter line. And, and, and here's the thing. When you're in line, don't, don't pull out your phone. You know, just be present in the moment. Perhaps talk to someone who's in line and have the opportunity to invite them to church or share Jesus with them or just give them a kind word and, and be the presence of God in their lives. Uh, but, and, and I'll just say this, another thing you could do to kind of eliminate hurry, how about this one, drive the speed limit. Who does that? When you approach a stoplight, another thing, you get in the longer line of cars. Ah, this one kills me. I can't do it. Like as much as I try, it just like kills me every time I try. How about this one? Drive in the slow lane or come to a complete stop at a stop sign. Like who does that anymore? But all of these things, I think, help cultivate patience and eliminate hurry. Here's another one. Take 24 hours each week to rest and worship. Where did that concept come from? Have you ever heard of the Sabbath, perhaps? So taking a literal 24-hour Sabbath each week, so countercultural, but so, I think, helpful to our spiritual growth and, and, and creating that margin in our schedule that contributes to us growing in patience. Another one, stop multitasking. Be in the moment with the people that you're with, genuinely listening to what they have to say and thinking about how you're going to respond to what they said, not thinking about the next point that you want to make, right? This idea of genuine listening and being present in the moment. If you need help with that, go watch Mr. Rogers. Go watch Fred Rogers. You can Google it or uh, YouTube it or whatever. Go watch Fred Rogers interact with children. That man was, he's the most present in the moment person that I could possibly, he's my hero, by the way. He's awesome. But anyways, uh, I digress. Uh, and just, just, very, just, just create margin in your schedule, just like Jesus did, that allows for interruptions. 
In this way, we can ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives and cultivate that patience that we want. There's one thing I've learned by having a three-year-old daughter is that we don't we are not naturally patient people. It's something that we have to learn. It's something that we have to train our daughter to do. And so I think that doesn't stop when you're a toddler. I think it continues on when you're an adult. We must find ways to continue to try to cultivate that patience, that elimination of hurry from our lives so that we can be patient with people. So uh, obstacles to patience, number one was hurry. Number two, I'll call it obscurity. So sometimes eliminating hurry is related to things that we can control, and sometimes it's things that are outside of our control. Sometimes it just takes time, and we just have to wait on God's timing. And so these are some examples. Maybe you're in school. Maybe you're you know, waiting to get from middle to high school or high school to college or college to graduate, or you're waiting for like that first career opportunity to happen or that position within your career that you want to take. And you just know that you got to put in the time. You got to put in, you got to practice patience in the midst of waiting for that time to pass for you to be able to step into the things that you want to be in, that next season of life. And so I just want to encourage you. I feel like this is a biblical encouragement for you to be present in the season of life that you're in. Enjoy it. Be, approach it with thankfulness and, and enjoy each moment that you're in because once you leave it, you're going to be looking back wishing that you were there again in, in most cases, at least, at least some parts of uh, your previous life. And so just enjoy whatever it is, whatever place you find yourself in your season of life. I think parents with young kids can kind of feel this way. It's like, when am I ever going to sleep again? Eventually they will grow up And most kids will start to sleep well and you can regain the sleep that you lost when they're kids. It'll happen eventually. It just takes time. And maybe maybe you find yourself in like debt or you're like saving up for this thing that's in the future, but you just you're only able to put back a little bit of money at a time and you're or whatever it is, you know, whatever you find yourself in where you know it's just gonna take time, find what God wants to do in you in the midst of that time. Don't just spend your entire time thinking about the next thing. Again, be present in the moment and be thankful for the season of life that you find yourself in. I know for myself, when I initially came to do church planting training at Jubilee Church here in Atlanta, I did that in 2012, thinking that by 2013, I would be moving to go plant a church in another city. I didn't, I didn't end up doing that, and I actually didn't start leading, be, being the lead pastor of this church until... 2020. So what I thought was going to happen in 2013 didn't happen until 2020. But those seven years, God used to do amazing things in my life. And I do think, like, I, I, I tried my best in the, in the midst of that time to really receive what God was wanting to teach me in those moments. And it transformed me. It, it equipped me, really, to be in the place that I am now and step into all that God's calling me to do today. I mean, think about it this way. Jesus had to wait 30 years to start his earthly ministry. And I'm sure if he would have started at age 25 instead of age 30, that everything he would have done would have been amazing. It would have been good. It would have been helpful. Uh, But the fact is he didn't do that. That wasn't God's plan for his life. Jesus went through this time, this time period of obscurity where he had to learn Patience. He had to learn what God wanted to teach him in that time period in order to do the things in his three years of his life and ministry, starting at age 30 here on this earth. 
And God purposefully puts us through seasons of obscurity. And it's in these seasons that God's wanting to cultivate this divine patience and reliance on him to form us to the people that he has called us to be in this life. And this is true of almost every character in the Old Testament. So we have Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David. They all went through times of obscurity. You could go down the list. So we have hurry, we have obscurity. And number three is similar to obscurity, but a little bit different. And I'll just call this unanswered or delayed answered prayers. These will be things that fall into the category where it doesn't just take time to happen, but there's circumstances where if God decided to move, if he would just move in power, then it, those things could happen in an instant. I mentioned before that my wife and I adopted our daughter Izzy a little less than three years ago. In fact, a bigger part of our journey was to, to adopt was the fact that we've been diagnosed with unexplained infertility. On August 5th of this year, we celebrated our 16 year wedding anniversary. So our marriage is now old enough to get a driver's license. It's kind of crazy to think about. But we've been to fertility specialists. There's nothing wrong with either of us in this area. And I did the quick math and that's 192 months, which means roughly 192 chances for her to become pregnant. And we're currently zero for 192. Countless prayers for healing, prophetic words about pregnancy, all the things that the medical world has to offer short of in vitro fertilization. We didn't do that one. And still nothing, still nothing. And then we had something else happen to us recently. My daughter was diagnosed with type one diabetes in November of last year. And my wife and I, we pray most nights that God would, would miraculously heal her of this lifelong condition. And he is yet to do that. Maybe you've struggled with something similar. You aren't asking for something selfish. It's something completely, but it is something completely outside of your control that if God would just move in power, he could fix it. But he doesn't. How do we cultivate patience in our hearts in these situations? Well, for this, I turned to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. At this point in the Old Testament, the Israelites were living in exile under Babylonian rule. King Nebuchadnezzar constructed a 90-foot tall gold statue and said, whenever the music plays, all of you Israelites that are living among us in Babylon need to bow down and worship this gold statue while the music is playing. The king finds out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are three guys with like the coolest names ever, in my opinion, are not following his instructions. That takes us to Daniel chapter 3 verse, in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, 
Apparently, they all answered in unison. It was all three of them said this at the same time, apparently. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. So they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, who, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. As you can imagine, the king was furious. He, he lit up the furnace seven times hotter than normal, and he ordered them to be bound and thrown in. It was actually so hot that the men that carried them bound to the furnace and threw them in, those men were burned up in the, in the furnace. Just being close to it caused them to be burned up which takes us to verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of God's. A couple of points about this story. Unanswered prayers and kind of what this has to do with patience. Number one, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated an incredibly mature place in their, that I believe our hearts can get to if we live in such a way as to become patient people. They were confident that their God would deliver them from the fire. But even if he didn't, they would not bow down and worship this statue. Would not change their disposition. If their prayer of deliverance went answered or unanswered, it did not determine the level of their resolve. They were not controlled by their circumstances. They were controlled by the truth that they knew about who God is in their hearts. They had become men, at least demonstrated in this moment, now, biblical characters can have good moments and bad moments, but demonstrated in this moment, they were men who were holistically submitted to the will, calling, and timing of God on their lives. And I think the statement they made means that they had the capacity for an almost unlimited patience when it came to waiting for God to answer their prayers. And I can say this, that I attempt every day to be in full faith that God will allow us to have children biologically. But even if he doesn't, I will not walk away from God. I will continue to worship him and serve him. And that's the, that's the disposition I believe that God wants us to carry when we encounter things like this in our lives. Number two, did you notice who made a cameo appearance in this story? Most theologians agree that this person who appears like the sons of God is the pre-incarnate Christ. God the Son, who is always, he's always existed. So Jesus, who is God the Son, has always existed for all eternity past. And he comes fully in the person of Jesus. So we see him in his life and ministry. God the Son becomes a man in the person of Jesus. But most would agree that there's several times in the Old Testament where God the Son comes and inserts himself into human history. And this is one of them. And I think this means that no matter where you are in your journey, 
to become the kind of person who demonstrates patience, whether it's unanswered prayers, obscurity, or hurry, or overload. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you in the fiery furnace. He's with you each step of the way. And notice, he wasn't outside the furnace, like cheering him on, like, you got it, guys, you can do it. No, he was in, he was in the furnace with them. And I think it's in these moments where we want to shout, God, where are you? Why are you not answering my prayers? That I believe actually that Jesus is most present with us. That he is with us, that he's with us in the most painful times of waiting that we will ever, ever experience. The Bible says, speaks of things like he empathizes with us perfectly. And even more than that, he's praying to the Father continually on our behalf. And this brings me to my next and last point. Sometimes the most painful times of waiting for prayers to be answered that have a possibility of never being answered is when we're praying for those who don't know the love of Jesus to come into relationship with him. And that kind of pain that we feel God is very much aware of. And we see this in 2 Peter 3.9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If you are here this morning and your heart is broken for those in your life who don't know God, God's heart is broken with you. Let's go ahead and have the band come up at this time. And if you're here today and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus and give your life to him, I want you to know that God is patient with you. And if you're here because someone invited you to come this morning, I want you to know that whoever invited you is probably praying for you right now. And as, of, as I mentioned earlier, because of our rebellion against God's design for our life, we deserve death and separation from God. But Jesus came to die the death that we deserve and today offers a new life with him. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You can choose to give your life, to commit your life to Jesus today. But it's important to understand this. While God is the embodiment of patience, he's our demonstration, he's our model for what patience looks like. One day, his, his patience will run out. When we die, or when Jesus returns for a second time, we will lose the opportunity. The door of forgiveness and salvation will then close. There will not be, salvation will not be available when we die or when Jesus returns. So while God is patient with us in that moment, we cannot take that for granted and approach faith or the exploration of faith with kind of a cavalier attitude. We have to approach it with the amount of seriousness that it, that it needs. And, and if you, you sense that the presence of God is calling you to, to take that step to follow Jesus today, I would just encourage you, don't waste any more time. Even if you don't fully understand what it means, 
take that step to follow Jesus today. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain there's people within Trinity Church that can help you in that journey. If you're there and you're not quite there yet, I just, I want you to know, and I can, I can be certain to say that this, this, is a, this church is a safe place for you to continue to explore your faith and get the questions answered that you need answered before you're ready to make that decision. But I also want to circle back to those of us who know and follow Jesus and are seeking to cultivate more patience in our life. If it is hurry causing you to lack patience, take one thing from the list and put that into practice this week. Whether it's the long line at the grocery store or complete stop at the stop sign or whatever it is, whatever, you know, whatever from that list that you want to take and do, like go for it and just cultivate uh, the elimination of hurry in your life so that you become the kind of person who is patient. And if it's obscurity or unanswered prayers that are causing impatience to kind of stir up inside of you, I just want to encourage you to take, take that and confess it to God. Share it with other people within the church that can help, can pray for you and help you walk through that. I think it's in that place that we find healing. We find that divine patience that only God can give us. So I just want to encourage you as we end today's message to do one of those two things today. I'm going to pray for us and then be done. God, we love you and thank you for who you are. We thank you for your amazing love for us. God, I, I, I pray, Lord, that you would cultivate patience in Trinity Church. God, I pray that uh, if there's different things that are going on in people's lives that are causing them to be impatient, that are causing them to perhaps doubt uh, your existence or doubt your love for them, God, I just pray that you would enter in right now. I pray for your presence to be with the church there right now, Lord. And I just ask that you would uh, fill them fresh and anew with your spirit today. God, remind them of your goodness, your greatness, your love, your kindness, your patience. And Lord, help them each step of the way as they cultivate that within themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.